Hey guys, this is Anon Chimpy from Anontech.com. This is the official Anon Tech podcast. Uh, we're back for episode 17. As I mentioned on episode 16, I didn't think we'd be back until after MWC. Uh, there was a bunch of stuff we were under NDA on, and now some of that has started to come out. So we actually all got together right before Brian and I leave for the show uh, to kind of do one little podcast here. Uh, it's going to be very short, very focused, um, but but this way we don't we don't have like two weeks worth of stuff to talk about when we get back. Uh, so joining us as always, we have Brian Klug, our senior smartphone editor. Hey, everybody. And Dr. Ian Cutris, our senior motherboard editor. Hey, guys. And we have joining us Ryan Smith, our senior GPU editor. Hi, guys. So Ryan's obviously here to talk about NVIDIA's recently introduced $1,000 GeForce GTX Titan GPU. Before we get to that, one of the first things that kind of came out um, since since we last spoke was HTC announced their new flagship uh, Purophone, Superphone, Smartphone, whatever you want to call it. It's the HTC One. Uh, and Brian, you've been playing with it. Tell us a bit about it. Right. So <clears throat> the HTC One is is obviously their new flagship, or at least you know one you know the newest device that they've launched. And you know, obviously HTC is in kind of a difficult position, or they they have been for a little while, with you know sort of losing market share to Samsung this last round. Even though I thought that their designs were probably better, you know, objectively. But <clears throat> obviously in the United States, not having a single device on all the operators is a big problem. So with that, we get the HTC One, which is an all-aluminum device. Um, and they, they, they made a big deal about how they, they CNC it from a single block of aluminum. They shoot plastic in at a certain stage um, to get, you know, make these antenna bands kind of similar to the iPhone 5. Uh, there's plastic around the edge, um, but really the the bulk of the device is all one single piece of aluminum. And they said something like there's 200 minutes of CNC cuts per per chassis. And they had them all laid out. So we saw it, I saw it at frequencies. Um, and basically, this is kind of like the first Android phone that's that level fit and finish, I think. And it's amazing in, in the hand, obviously. But it has some other cool features, too, that are kind of near and dear to me, like uh, a big emphasis on camera and features like optical image stabilization. So the prevailing trend in the the camera imaging space for smartphones has been more of these smaller pixels. And we've kind of marched down this chain from like 2.2 microns to around 1.65 microns to 1.4 microns. And this is like each year. Um, to now 1.1 microns. And you're, and you're talking the, about just the, the size of the individual pixels on the center. Right, just square pixels. And, you know, if, you know, microns doesn't really give you any color unless you're, unless you're familiar with, you know, like the size of these pixels or like order of magnitude. But to give you an example, like uh, I always tend to think in the red, which is 700 nanometers, like that's very red, you can't really see it. But so 0.7 microns at 1.1 micron pixels, that's really one and a half waves. Uh, you know, and at, you know, obviously at 1.4 microns, we're talking about like two waves. So really you can't image that, that, that well within, within the constraints of a smartphone, you know, like the optics are severely limited, um, just by the, by virtue of it being plastic, by virtue of you always battling industrial design. Um, so moving back up to 2.0 microns makes a lot of sense because you can gain back all the sensitivity and, Again, we kind of live in a world where you don't really want to share your photos in any way except for like Instagram or 
pick.twitter or Facebook where it's going to get decimated anyways, right? Or you just send an, an MMS and it gets decimated. And by decimated, I mean resized down. So does it make any sense to have a 13 megapixel imager if you're just going to get terrible low light performance? And you see people doing things like binning and, you know, like the iPhone 5 does binning, like they'll do a two by two bin in that low light mode and that gets rid of the noise but it doesn't really increase sensitivity so they boost the ISO really really high so anyways that's a big emphasis on the HTC one that that I kind of appreciate just because that's such a huge risk and you know I've said this this is such a huge risk and that they don't really want to hear that because that's like we're just betting on it and you know consumers have only been ever really taught megapixels and it's analogous to like the megahertz race of course so that's a big part of the story now, with so, the HTC One. So the HTC One, it uses two micron um, uh, pixels, but the total sensor size is only four megapixels, right? Because like the, right. the alternative would be, um, you know, you do like an eight megapixel sensor and your sensor is just now huge. And, and Nokia has done that in the past, right? But, but this is really keeping right. the form factor, but also going, you know, for, for kind of a more quality sensor. So, yeah, when you increase the size of your sensor, you just, by virtue of physics and, you know, the chiffre angle, get a thicker module. And, of course, nobody wants to carry around, you know, a huge, huge device. And, you know, and even, obviously, Nokia was able to kind of sell that, although that I would qualify the PureView 808 as more of, like, a connected camera than really a smartphone just because of Symbian. Um, <clears throat> and I think even they've kind of said that in so many words. But... Uh, yeah, that's obviously the case. And I'll point out that they used 1.4 micron pixels in all their pure view branded things. And like the N8 was 1.65. So we've, we've kind of gone way back and that's a, that's a huge risk. Uh, and they've kind of like HTC has kind of shied away from saying it's four megapixels, which is, you know, I, I don't know if that's a good idea. Personally, I think that that might lead people to think like, oh, they're trying to hide something. I would just say it's four megapixels, but Hey, you know, are you ever going to really print these things huge? Like I'm, I'm definitely not from a 13 megapixel smartphone camera <laughs> because you're not going to get that kind of frequency out of there anyways. Like, so to me, you're just oversent all these 13 megapixel cameras and even some of the eight megapixel ones that use the 1.1 micron pixels are just oversampling a really crappy image. So yeah, this is the, this is like by far the right way to go. And we'll see what happens this whole, I think this whole year will be dominated by 1.1 micron 13 megapixel or again you can inherit the gains and go to an 8 megapixel sensor that's even smaller so you get thinner module like the lg optimus g has both of those options so that's an interesting part of it and then it has two front facing speakers that are really loud 4.7 inch 1080p display um snapdragon 600 so apq8064 pro with Cray 300 at 1.7 gigahertz all that good stuff um, actively tuned antennas for top and bottom. You know, since it's all metal, you need this. Since the you know obviously the geometry of the antenna defines its radiative properties, that's a big part of the story. I think this year we'll see a lot, like pretty much everybody ship actively tuned antennas just to get you know into the, all these bands that they need to. Um, what else is there to talk about? I don't know. The new Sense Five is okay. I don't really have any issues with it. I know everybody's going to complain that it's only running 4.1.2, but basically, I mean, I put a direct quote in there. We're shipping 4.1.2 for stability and quality reasons. Like, I think everybody knows 4.2 is kind of a buggy release until 4.2.2. So, 
you know, that's that. And really, it's kind of more of a tablet feature release. Like, they consolidated the tablet UI, you know? It's not, you know, like, on the smartphone side, what did they add? They added the, you know, photo, the Photosphere thing, the quick toggles, which basically everybody's always had with skins, and a couple other things. So I don't, there's not a whole lot that I miss, right? But I know people, I know that's going to be a difficult thing for them. And I don't know, that's, that's the big story. There's no SD card slot. It's going to be on all the operators in the U.S. except for Verizon. Um, and basically at this point, if, if you consider yourself a, you know, an enthusiast and you're on Verizon, you're just part of the problem. You're not part of the solution, <laughs> right? But just reward them with reward operators that aren't, that aren't impossible for any OEM to work with. That's what I would say. Like it's not, it's not HTC's fault. It's, or any of these other operators fault, any of the other OEMs fault. It's, it's your fault because, you know, vote with your wallet, but that's just my, my take on it at this point. Um, and I think the industry as a whole needs to put the blame in the right place. You know, if you want that phone, then, you know, tell them about it. Don't, don't tell the OEM about it. That's not how it works. You know, it's not like they just don't want to make a sale. You know, this is what I don't get. I just love hearing it. It's like who, like what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they don't want to sell it. You know, even Nokia is in the same place, right? Like they made a million variants of the latest phones. Yes. Do you think that they want to support like 8 million variants, like the 810, the 822, like all this other stuff? No. Why did they do it? Because everybody wants an exclusive. And if you go into a sales meeting and you're not like Samsung or Apple, where you can just say like, take it or leave it, you know, we don't really care one way or the other, then you're going to make concessions. But at least this time in the US, there aren't concessions made, you know to Sprint, T-Mobile, or AT&T. It's the one, it's the same industrial design. You know, a big thing is that all the crapware that they install goes into a folder. You know, it's not just dumped all over the launcher. It's like there's going to be a folder that's like the operator's name, and then all the stuff gets dumped in there. You know, because it's overwhelming, even for me, when you get these things to just have like 8 million applications that i'm never going to use yeah exactly so how do they enforce that though how do they enforce like hey we're going to put crapper on here just we put it in this folder that that's easily segmented like what how is well, they, they ship the rom they get they get to decide and it's just part of the deal interesting yeah now that's that's what i was told i mean who i mean you never really know until the fat lady sings right or you know until until it's actually said and done but that's what they said for all the operators, all your pre-installed apps will go into this folder. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um, so, so HTC, I feel like for the past two generations, you look at the one, um, well, last year's one, and and now just the one period. Um, Which is why the name is horrible. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> I know that I know that this is clearly something very high up. They feel strongly about. Yes. You don't want to be the two. You don't want to be number two. Yes. But it's like, well, how do you signal to consumers this is a new one? Like, we need a number. Yeah. And and having a name that's also a number and then following it by a number is just there's just a whole mess with all of that. Right. But so so I'm curious here. I feel like these past two devices or two generations, we've been really pleased with HTC. Um, but there's this like overwhelming feeling that they're just not going to last. That Samsung is just going to come in, outmarket them, outmuscle them, and and then we're just you know left with another kind of dismal quarter. Um, do you see that changing? Like what what's the what's the solution here? Um, to what? Well, it's, it's not my job to make sure HTC wins, but obviously we, I think they've, they've kind of been in an interesting position in that I think their designs have been better for a while, 
but again for what like they just don't have the marketing budget that samsung does like you, you hear the the word carpet bomb a lot and i don't want to i don't want to you know talk negatively about any one player but i think that is again the marketing message isn't there or wasn't there this last generation partly because they kind of just left it to the operator to do for like the one x and partly because the branding wasn't right so now the branding's right um, they're going to take a more active role with the marketing and not just leave it up to the operator. Uh, and then I think they, they said in, in some in some cases they're going to try to have some you know, like close to the same level of marketing as Samsung. But, I mean, we'll see. It, it really depends. There's nothing specific that you can really point to. But I think that they're just as equally aware of the fact that that was really the problem. You know, and, and again, I don't like, will Samsung have an all-metal phone? I don't know. For me, that's a big thing. It seems to be like a very subjective deal. At the same time, now that Samsung has kind of carved out like an, a niche and, you know, like a following, like I was talking to uh, a driver the other day and he was like, well, I've always owned Samsung phones, so that's what I'm just going to buy next time. You know, like I like TouchWiz. <laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of insightful to hear the like naive consumer's response because you know, to some extent they're used to one thing and they're going to just buy it. So they kind of have an uphill battle from my point of view, just judging things objectively. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what galaxy S4 is going to look like, but this seems pretty decent, you know? And that's kind of how it was last time. It was like the one X seemed like phenomenally good hardware. I mean, at least the 89, 8960 version, you know, I think we've said our part about the Tegra three version. I don't know what, I don't know why that was a good idea, but (laughs) Yeah, it just wasn't a good idea, right? And now, and if you look at international people, they're like, well, I don't want to buy another HTC phone that's going to last like five hours. Yeah. Like the Tegra 3 thing? Well, okay, you know, but, so that's an uphill battle. Obviously, this is going to last way better than that, you know, because it's not 40G. So, you know, that's going to be better. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't, again, it's hard to know until you've seen everybody's like stance and, they're going to launch later anyways. Uh, but this seems pretty good. Yeah. So, so my, my main thing is, and, and I don't want to dwell too much on this is, is just that it seems like HTC is doing the right thing on both the design front. They're picking the right hardware and, and it looks like they're going in a completely different direction on camera. And it's, and it's something that uh, you personally approve of, right? Like you, you think this is the yeah. right approach to what they're doing on display um, or on imaging. So uh, I'm just really curious to see, you know, one of the most frustrating things about watching this kind of mobile revolution, um, when, when I first got into the PC industry, uh, everyone had these stories about all of these great ideas that failed before I got there. And I was like, well, that sucks. I don't, that doesn't sound very fun. Um, but now going through this mobile revolution, I, I feel like I'm seeing that, right? I'm seeing firsthand great ideas that just fail. And it's it sucks. Like, it's just, it's really personally frustrating to me. Um and and I, I just it sounds like HTC is doing all the right things here. They're not getting caught up in like the megapixel race, for example. They're doing the right things, and and I don't I don't want that to be kind of uh, punished, right? I, I don't want yes. to to see that not do well because they they don't have a, a thirteen megapixel sensor. Um, and and that's kind Me of either yeah. And and again, that's such a huge marketing message that has to be set right. There's a lot of stuff that can go wrong there because people are just gonna see the number i don't know if i like the the word ultra pixel um i just don't i don't know what the right word is i'm not a marketing person i didn't go to school for marketing i don't know what sells 
in terms of like just words. Yeah. So I'm not going to pretend that I could come up with something better or, you know, like, or boom sound, but you know, the science behind it is sound, you know, obviously having more, more integration area is better. Uh, the side by sides that I've done are better and different. Um, OIS, again, you just don't even need to say anything. OIS is going to further improve things. Like if you're taking a picture of a still, then you can have a longer shutter time, you know, a longer exposure time. Uh, and for video, that's a big thing. I don't know what Samsung will do. I don't know their plans. I won't pretend to know. And I kind of hate that every discussion that that there is about this thing, you kind of get to that point where you're like, oh, well, let's see what Samsung does. You know? And imaging wasn't an emphasis for their for them the last two times. This last time, it, it kind of regressed, I would say. And I, I've said that, and everybody gets angry, but it just did. <laughs> like, just deal with it. So that that's that. And, you know, I don't know if the emphasis is going to change again. Like, Samsung's biggest thing is thickness. So we have this extremely wide camera that you get all this distortion with. Um, and if you look at, look at images from, like, all the other smartphones and then the Galaxy S3, it's just like, why? It's so wide. Well, why is it so wide? Because the focal length is so short. Because it's all about thickness, you know? So getting thinner just means you're going to have a wider focal length. Period. End of story. This is like basic physics. So, you know, and, and that's not what I want. Like, give me 35 millimeters. So if you, and everybody's like, oh, well, you need more megapixels to do digital zoom. Well, if you give me a 35 millimeter equivalent camera, then I don't need to do digital zoom. Like, do you understand that one, there's kind of like, you're just minute, you're just trading one thing off for the other. Yeah. You know, and it's just going to, it's going to come back and haunt you later. Like the iPhone has always kind of kept this. Um, I think it's around 35. I don't, I can't remember what it is equivalent, but if you look at their, you know, like iPhone crops, iPhone camera pictures, it's much narrower again, longer focal length and their module is thicker, you know, like on the, on the five, they put it in that plastic in that space at the top. So they don't worry about the display length. Like they go all the way through to the glass. The module goes all the way basically through the front. So, you know, and admittedly, it doesn't do that on the on the on the one. You know, like they're kind of up against the display thickness and some other things. So, you know, like those issues are there. And, anyways, there's a whole long discussion that that needs to be had about what's right. And I don't know, will consumers will it resonate with them? That depends. I think a lot of people take photos in situations like you know, like at a party or in a restaurant or a bar or like of their food where it's so low light and you don't want to use flash because flash is horrible, especially these little LED flashes. And, and there having all these features makes a lot of sense, I think. No, I agree. I, it's, I, it'll be very interesting to see how this, how this um, unfolds. And, and it sounds like, you know, in the next month or so, we're going to get a chance to see what Samsung's doing. So uh, hopefully this won't be a, a long and prolonged discussion. Um, so that kind of wraps up the HTC One. I wanted to talk about um, the other big thing that happened this week, uh, which is on the opposite end of the spectrum, which is NVIDIA's uh, GeForce GTX Titan. So, Ryan, you just went through like a marathon all-nighter finishing this review that, that actually just posted today. Uh, give us a high-level overview. What, what is Titan? Uh, well, if Brian Klug loves metal smartphones, then he's also going to love metal video cards. It looks Titan- awesome. It feels awesome. Titan is NVIDIA's new high-end video card. It's basically their second uh, attempt here into a luxury video card 
following in the footsteps of uh, GTX 690, which was released back in May. And by luxury, I mean they're pricing it at $1,000, using very high build quality, focusing on using metals instead of plastics to keep noise down, sort of the other same things that you would expect for a part that is built to be high quality. Now, from a uh, silicon standpoint, this is the first consumer product using their new GK110 GPU. Uh, this is the GPU behind uh, the Tesla K20 series, which of course is the video card powering the Titan supercomputer, hence Titan the video card. So, so this is kind of interesting, right? Because it's, you know, NVIDIA kind of bifurcated their their roadmap, right? Where they have, you know, it used to be that your high-end GPU, you know, that that served compute and that also served high-end gaming. But but this previous generation, um, or, or, you know, with Kepler, they, they have uh, their kind of high-end GPU that goes and services gaming. And then they had this really, really high-end compute GPU. Uh, and, and this is, Titan is just them bringing that really, really high-end compute GPU down down to the desktop. Correct. Uh, it, it would be uh, fair to say that NVIDIA always designs its high-end GPUs for both graphics and compute, but with uh, the Kepler generation, their compute division is finally getting enough traction that the compute division alone can suck up a large number of GPUs. And so that's what launch. happened. That's what happened last year, right? Like that, you know. Uh, uh, the reason GTX Titan didn't come out last year one was because AMD didn't have you know a competitive partner on the market um, in in that price segment in that die segment. Um, but two, all the wafers just went into the Titan supercomputer, right? That was like eighteen, almost nineteen thousand of these big seven billion transistor GPUs just went into one installation. Yeah, correct. Uh, Titan was Nvidia's big contract. They had first dibs on. K20, uh, we did the math, something still like 140, 150 wafers worth of uh, Titan GPUs in there. Uh, that basically was somewhere on the order of months of uh, production for them, for their initial production in order to get Titan up and running. So that's also why t K20 didn't become available until December, simply because everything was going to uh, the National Laboratory. So what what's your um, now now I played with Titan in in kind of a, so going back a, a step here with Titan Nvidia kind of has a unique problem right like one of the reasons that you you do want to split your roadmap like this is because you know at least today building a GPU for compute you know actually isn't necessarily ideal for for extracting peak gaming performance right and and that's why we have this kind of uh, Kepler and big Kepler split the the standard Kepler parts don't spend a lot of die area on the compute stuff and, and are thus, you know, very, very well tuned for gaming. Um, but, but in taking one of these really, really high end GPUs for, for compute and, and running it as a effectively a, a gaming device, you don't get that perfect scaling, right? You don't get 7 billion worth of, you know, transistors that are going to be, are going to be used to, to make your frames render quicker, right? So it's, it's that, that performance advantage over the GTX 680 isn't, it's not double, right? It's not... Uh, what is it? Characterize that for us. Uh, depends on the game, but compared to GTX 680, it's going to be about 47%, 47 to 50%, which is quite a bit to say the least. 50% more gaming performance increase in less than a year, but at the same time, we're talking about a die size that's nearly double the size of the GTX 680's die, so it gives you an idea of how many transistors are in there not doing things related to gaming. 
So if you're talking about a 50% performance increase, the price difference is obviously much more uh, larger than 50%. Um, and, and if you take two 680s, you end up actually being quicker than Titan as well. Yes, you do. Uh, when SLI scaling is doing well, NVIDIA gets anywhere between 70 to 90% scaling. So yeah, compared to a 50% increase from Titan, it's not too much trouble to beat Titan. The but problem going the GT... But you're at Go the whim ahead. of drivers with uh, SLI always, so whenever the new game comes out, it may not always scale perfectly. Yeah, so that's or at the... all if they have the thing turned on. Like, that's quite, what I yeah. always run into. Yeah, yes. and so that's that's why I'm personally interested in it. I've I've never been, um, you know, other than like the old like Voodoo Two days. I, I just haven't been a. Uh, I, I'd much rather have one really fast card versus two fast cards, um, and and that's why I was interested in Titan. And Ryan, you, you kind of have similar feelings on Correct. that front. Our editorial position basically is what you just said. Uh, SLI, Crossfire, other multi-GPU techniques are great, but because of the issue with profiles, because of the issue with uneven scaling, because of the potential issues with microstutter, etc., we don't recommend using them to get more performance from smaller GPUs. Uh, it doesn't get you the max performance, but we think going with whatever product has the best single GPU performance and then building up from there is the way to go. That way, if you can't use SLI, you can't use Crossfire, you still have a good performance base to work off of. Otherwise, you end up with something like the recent launch of Far Cry 3, for example, where they changed the name of the Far Cry binary at the last minute before it shipped, and then NVIDIA got caught without a Far Cry 3 profile simply because they weren't looking for the right binary name. And so that took them a few days to get fixed, which, of course, everybody has their brand new copy of Far Cry 3 trying to play it, and they're not getting SLI. Also, also if you get the single one powerful card, if you do want to upgrade in the future, you have an upgrade path, because going from two to three cards isn't as big a jump as one to two. Very true. And though admittedly, I don't know very many people who buy a second card as an upgrade path, that does at least leave it as an option. So, so for the... I guess I'm the only person who always does SLI. Then, <laughs> oh, no, so... like I bought two 680s on launch day, and then previously I had the two 470s, you know, and then previously it was like two 60, whatever it was, 68, whatever the 68 maximum was. Remember that? <laughs> or 4870 before that, or whatever. So, <laughs> well, sorry, go ahead, Ian. Yeah. Um. Ever since you know I started being a student and always upgrading my PCs, you know, I've always had two cards. It's always been, well, I can get more performance with two cards because my budget is limited. I would much rather have the two cards than the one. Also, it gives me a chance to benchmark one card, two cards. And if I need to sell one, I can, and I still have one spare. So, Yeah, I, I mean, so I, I'm a bad data point because I, I, I don't get time to game anymore. Um, but it, it's... I, I'd still, I don't know. I like the simplicity of one card. What I want is one card that runs everything. And it's frustrating because you can never kind of get that, right? Like there's, because there's always going to be the crisis, you know, or, or even the Far Cry 3s of the world that you just, you know, you're, you're always going to be pushing too many pixels. They're, 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 uh, the, the strain on the card is too high where you can't really get that one card that runs everything. Um, but I, that's that's still kind of what I want, and and so all of this kind of presents an interesting solution here. So Nvidia has a thousand dollar card that only outperforms their. What does a six eighty go for today? 
uh, four hundred and fifty dollars. Okay, so they got a, a you know a card that's basically over two x the price of of the GeForce um, GTX six eighty, but you only get fifty percent of the performance. And technically, you're better off just taking two six eighties and putting them together. So how does Nvidia sell this card? Well, one, you can sell it uh, based on hey, look, this is the single greatest thing in the world, and it's seven billion transistors, and that's really cool. Uh, but two, and and this is how they presented it to us. They were like, look, you can. Put this card into a place that maybe you can't fit two 680s or you can't fit a 690. So they said, you know, we, we worked with a lot of our system integrators and we built these like small form factor, really, really small form factor gaming PCs around Titan. Um, so that's one thing you can do with it. And then the other end of the spectrum, it's, well, yeah, you know, the one card is faster than a 680. So if you put three of them together, it's really, really fast. And, and that's what you can do at the other end of the spectrum. Now, Ryan, you played around with one of the three-way SLI Titans. Do you have any impressions on that yet, or, or is that... Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's... It, this is going to be a very weird thing to say. It's hard to come up with games and scenarios where you can actually uh, use three video cards, or specifically three Titans. Not for lack on the technical side from NVIDIA, it's just, it's so much rendering power, it's hard to put good put to good use. With uh, the uh, triple SLI setup that I have in the Origin Genesis, uh, first of all, you have to be running multi-monitor uh, gaming. You need to be doing NVIDIA surround, either 2D or 3D vision surround, <clears throat> just to have enough pixels to uh, create enough load. And then from so, there, you can start cranking everything up. Run Crisis and Multi-Monitor with Super Sample Anti-Aliasing. You know, crank up Far Cry 3 to the limit, etc. So if you wanted to do... Um, so if you are one of those, like... I mean, you're talking... This is 21 billion just GPU transistors, right? This is like the... the transistor count of like a, a lab in college for me, right? When I was, when I was still in school. Just in one box. So you're saying if, if you are going that route, you have to be doing one of the like crazy multi-monitor setups. You have to. It would be completely and entirely wasted on a 2560 uh, monitor. But for, for someone who, who is driving a 2560 by 1440 monitor, um, one Titan isn't necessarily always enough to run everything at you know just insane settings, right? No, you could bring one Titan down. I believe uh, Sleeping Dogs in our benchmark suite uh, here managed to bring one titan down to about 30 frames per second so you'd need a second one if you wanted to get something closer to 60 and then we have the guys who are into 120 hertz gaming uh you know either running tn monitors or korean monitors overclocked 120 hertz their goal is entirely different in which case you've effectively doubled the amount of gpu power you need right there okay and and how much how much uh, dram is on each card uh these are six gigabyte cards uh it's so it's 24 chips, 12 on the front, 12 on the back, uh, which is interesting because this ends up being three times the amount of RAM uh, GTX 680 had. Uh, for the bus with NVIDIA is using 384 bits, you can either go the 3 gigabyte or the 6 gigabyte route. Uh, one would normally expect them to go the 3 gigabyte route, but since they did go with a luxury card, adding another 3 gigabytes of RAM is a way to justify the price and it's easy to do. And it's going to appeal to compute. Yeah, so that's the other aspect of this, right? Because, um, and, and actually, I'll get to compute in a second. I want to talk about the other side of um, the gaming experience, which is I was playing around with the Falcon Northwest uh, Tiki system, which this thing is a uh, like ultra thin, ultra small form factor. It's a custom chassis design done by Falcon Northwest. 
um, surprisingly easy to like get into, um, which was one of my chief complaints about most SFF uh, gaming systems or most small form factor systems in general. Like I feel like it's just it looks nice, but the minute you want to go in and work on anything, it's a pain. Uh, I, I didn't feel that way about this one. Uh, and actually, I posted some comparison shots. It's not that much bigger than an Xbox 360, um, but, um, which is pretty insane when you think about what's what hardware is in it. In, in the comments, I asked how much did it weigh compared to the 360. It is heavier than the 360, and it also has a granite base, right? Like yeah, that granite base that does it in. Um, but the, so the granite base is is actually it is removable. Um, oh, is it okay? Yeah, they, I think they're four screws that hold it in place. Um, and, you know, I saw some folks, Ian, didn't you ask if you could lay it on its side or was that someone else? Yeah, that was me. So I have an issue with DVD drives. I don't like to put them in when they're vertical. I want them to be horizontal. But so this is a slot loading DVD drive, right? Like it's, um, okay. it's not a tray. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, that- so it, 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 it's nothing I would ever use. Like I, I haven't used an optical disc in a really, really long time. Um, but I can, I, I understand, I share the same complaint, but it's not a slight, it's not, you don't have the Xbox 360 problem here. Awesome. Um, so I used it and I got to play with around with um, Steam's big picture mode. Have, have any of you guys played with this? I can't say that I have. Did, I need a bigger TV. I launched it accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting because like we had this conversation about, um, you know, the, the, the idea of Steam doing a, a, like a, a Valve box or Valve doing a, like, you know, the Steam box and, and you know, doing this uh, uh, using the PC as an open console platform going forward. So, so I have this box here that, you know, could feasibly, you know, if you exclude like the Crisis 3 or Far Cry 3s of the world, uh, run any game you threw at it at, you know, kind of the highest settings and definitely the highest settings when you have it hooked up to like a 1080p display. So I kind of used it like a console. And I was actually pretty impressed with the, the the big picture experience, right? So you you know if you have the latest uh, Steam client, it's you know that that weird button in the upper right hand corner of it. You click it and you get this kind of ten foot UI experience, and it supports the Xbox 360 controller, and you can navigate it like you would the Xbox 360 UI, but it's fast, right? And you have all the free to play games, or you have you know all the PC games you like to play. Uh, you can interact with the Steam store, so you can actually um, you can like buy stuff there. But I found that like the experience was kind of buggy. Um, I couldn't always download DLC the way I wanted to, or uh, you know, in some cases, I couldn't even buy the right titles. I, I'd have to go back to the you know the normal PC experience to do that. But overall, I was actually really really impressed with the experience. I feel like uh, it, it still needs some polish, but like Valve, they're on the right track towards approximating the console experience on a PC. What seems to be lacking here is again that last like five to ten percent of polish plus the the com- kind of complete ecosystem right the complete platform um, and and part of it's frustrating because you know the the big players in the space the Microsofts you know even the AMD's and the Intel's they're not doing a whole lot here right the heavy lifting is really coming from you know I know Nvidia is working very closely with Valve but it's coming from Valve it's coming from the indie developers and then you have these like uh, boutique PC builders you know the Falcon Northwest of the world that are you know building these systems that uh, are well designed and are really small form factor and and could approximate a console if you wanted to but no one's really tying it all together and and that's kind of the one of the more frustrating aspects of it um one issue but, is but, big picture mode does um, with the controller I take it none of the games are automatically configured to work with a controller. Uh, no. So Far Cry 3, for example, works perfectly. Without, it, without configuring anything? 
No, I don't do anything. I turn it on. I think it maybe asked me a question, like, do you want to use the controller or whatever? And you just you hit OK, and then it's done. Awesome. Yeah, um, these days, a lot of console ports uh, just detects an Xbox 360 controller right out of the box and works fine. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I literally had I had something that was a better Xbox 360, right? It looked better. Um, navigating all the menus was really quick. Loading levels was really... I mean, there was, like, a crucial SSD in here, right? This was a a well-built console playing the same game I would get on a 360 with the same controller, but it looked better and everything was faster. And it cost four um, times the price. Yes, yeah. So there's that aspect as well. But you don't <laughs> you don't have to build it with Titan, right? Like, so Titan had a lot of performance to spare in a lot of the games that I tried. Like, I, I loaded up uh, Skyrim, right? And that's uh, Titan's overkill for that. Um, and, and you don't have to do things like run 8xAA at 1080p. Uh, so there's room to do it with cheaper hardware. Uh, this also, this Tiki system also had the CPU overclocked to 4.7 gigahertz or 4.6, which was just awesome. Um, you know, it, it's because you don't get that in the console space, right? Like you don't get CPU performance. You get a ton of GPU and, and kind of marginal CPU performance. So that was nice to see. Uh, I, um, I think we'll co- cover that in the PlayStation 4. Yes. Yeah, we will. Oh, God. <laughs> we will get to that. Um, so I don't know. I thought the experience was really cool. Um, I, I was I was relatively pleased with it. Uh, then, you know, there's the, the thing that Ian mentioned. So Titan also uh, is great for folks who are doing compute, right? Who are, who are doing CUDA development, who are doing, well, not OpenCL development today. Ryan, you ran into an interesting problem with that, with the Titan launch. Yeah, OpenCL on the press drivers doesn't, and actually these are also the, now the WHKL drivers. Uh, OpenCL is broken. Basically, NVIDIA was too uh, preoccupied getting uh, gaming working on GK110 and for this latest build, they somehow broke OpenCL. So something they'll get fixed in short order. It just unfortunately doesn't work right now. So we can't do any compute comparisons uh, against uh, Tahiti and other products. It, so, it, it, it just means that you definitely know that the Titan supercomputer is on CUDA. <laughs> oh, so here's the thing. OpenCL works just fine on K20. This is this specific issue with okay. getting GK110 up and running on the uh, mainstream GeForce drivers. So you, you were able to do some compute testing on it, uh, and the results looked really, really good, except for like one benchmark where, where it didn't do all that well. Um, yeah, you know, in fact, maybe this is something Ian could say a bit more about since he wrote that specific benchmark. But yeah, we ran a variety of direct computes and uh, CUDA benchmarks, which of course still work. Uh, direct compute performance, it, at least on our benchmarks, it was close uh, to uh, better than Tahiti. On the CUDA side of things, of course, we can only compare it to other NVIDIA cards. Uh, GTX, Titan compared to GTX 680 or really anything that came before it is just a massive difference. Because NVIDIA stripped out all that compute capability from GTX 680, it always did very poorly in these tests, so when Titan comes in on the same test, it just completely blows all those other GeForce cards out of the water. Yeah, so one thing that um, I found really interesting, so uh, Titan was also uh, the deb- debut of um, Rahul, who's been helping on some of the open, uh, on, on some of the, the compute tests there. Uh, he's Code Divine on, on Twitter. He had a benchmark uh, where, where he actually put its per- performance in perspective compared to Xeon Phi, and his results there were, were saying that this was actually even faster than, than Intel's recently announced and introduced Xeon Phi. Yeah, one of the <clears throat> one of the interesting things with uh, 
and this is more so Tesla than Titan, but it's all the same family. Uh, one of the interesting things with uh, with GK110 at any rate was that NVIDIA was really looking to improve their compute efficiency. Uh, for me, for example, GF110, the previous Tesla series of cards, uh, had a lot of performance on paper, but actually utilizing it was hard. And in fact, this is something that has plagued GPUs for a while now. Uh, AMD has been in the same boat a lot of the time. So with Tesla and GK110, they're really looking to uh, push their efficiency and actually get more out of their GPUs, real-world performance that's closer to their theoretical performance. Basically, their goal was to get uh, performance above the 90% range. And although our benchmarks didn't get quite that high, Titan is the most efficient of the uh, cards we did end up testing at over 70%. Uh, it's theoretical performance here in uh, the DGEM benchmark. So it's, it's, it's all about making sure that the compiler maps to the hardware and making sure that the hardware can also cope with what the compiler spits out. That... Yeah, very much so. This is not just a hardware thing, it's also a software thing, which NVIDIA has been putting a lot of effort into. Cool. So it's, I don't know, Titan's a, a very exciting card, very interesting part. It's, it's a, I, I think they're, they're very specific parts of the market that it goes into. The ultra, ultra high-end, you know, the, the three-way SLI folks, um, the really, really high-end SFF systems, um, again, Falcon Northwest Tiki is, is uh, the example that we played with, as well as the folks who are, who are doing CUDA development on home. At 1000 bucks a card, it's, it's not going to be um, it's not going to be for everyone, but I don't know. For me, I get a kick out of seeing a seven billion transistor chip sold to consumers, um, like just ahead of you know when we naturally get there, just following Moore's law. So I, I I don't know. I'm I'm interested in it. It's not something that I would ever buy and put in you know my own personal rig or anything like that. But it's uh, it's cool nonetheless. Now Nvidia didn't stop there with Titan because they had another introduction this week on the opposite end of the spectrum. They announced uh, Tegra 4i. And Brian, you and I have been talking about this, waiting for it, right. and, and finally covered it. Tegra 4i Project Gray is what it was formerly known as. Um, wh why don't you take it away? What what is this thing? Um, so it's uh, it's. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know where to start, really. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot to go over. So, but uh, it, it's four it's four A nines of a different revision, and the other part is that it's not. They call it Tegra 4, but as you've said before, it's kind of like a Tegra 3.5. You know, like a... I don't, I don't know, that, that, that's going to get me some rage. But it's not, it's not 4A15s. But it's the first one with the Isera baseband inside, which is very exciting. So this you is... Um, I, and I hesitated to write this or, or to add this in the post. You know, Brian wrote up this awesome post on Tegra 4i, and, and I chimed in with a few thoughts in there. Um, and I was really tempted to say, hey, look, it's a... You know, NVIDIA's been doing rebadged GPUs for so long, and, and they're doing... <laughs> you restrained yourself. <laughs> I did, because it's, you know, when I presented it to Ryan, and, and it's actually, it's, it's Ryan's fault that I didn't say this. When I presented it to Ryan, he was like, oh no, it's rebadging at the SOC level. But then when I explained that, hey, look, it, it doesn't have the same GPU as Tegra 3, like it, it does have, you know, a slightly enhanced um, and, and more GPU cores, and it's not technically the same revision of A9 core, you know, he was like, well, that's not actually a rebadge. And and that is true. Sure. It's it's not it's not a full rebadge, but it's very clear that like they're leveraging the Tegra four name, right? In, in exactly. selling this thing. Um That's what I kind of find you know, I was in even in the forums, somebody was like, So Tegra four I equals Tegra three point five? That like that's the th name of the thread. Yeah. You know? 
So, I mean, but that's, that's, I mean, they need credit. I guess it's totally new. It's 28 um, HPM instead of 28 HPL for Tegra 4. 2.3 gigahertz A9s, A9R4, which they've talked a lot about and we'll talk about more. Um, it has the Isera i500 modem built on uh, built in there, which is an interesting part. Um, 60 GPU cores, you know, and uh, the same ISP as Tegra 4. So that's kind of like the really high level of it. Yeah, we're still under embargo on a lot of details. That'll come out during MWC week. Um, but the main thing is this is NVIDIA's first truly integrated um, you know, with integrated baseband silicon solution, uh, the the idea here is that you know you need this to get the bulk of the mainstream or performance mainstream smartphone design wins, which Nvidia didn't have last generation with Tegra three, uh, and and you know this going forward, this is this is something that they kind of need. The timing on all of this is kind of what's most bothersome to me. Uh, they're talking about a Q4, you know, earliest devices in Q4 of this year. The bulk of them shipping in Q1 of 2014. Um, to me, oh, I should mention it's four plus one A9s. I said four earlier. It's they still have all of them have the power saver core. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, the timing is an issue to me, Brian. What do you? What are your thoughts here? Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously that's kind of late. That's kind of a while. You know, that's that's a long time. And the comparisons, you know, if you're gonna make them to just like APQ eighty sixty four. Is that really valid? Because there's going to be much better than APQ8064 by that period. Yeah, it's like you've got you know? all the Crate 300 based stuff that it'll have to compete with. Um, not to mention that that still gives uh, Qualcomm, you know, another almost a full year of being able to ship right. integrated LTE baseband. Right. And you know, I think I think their LTE solution is very interesting, and there's a lot to talk about there. They have an integrated Isera i500, which is category three, and then later it'll be category four. And I, I don't know, like, honestly, this isn't bad. The, the question is timing. And I think in, NVIDIA's execution in the SOC space has kind of been, you know, something that you trend. I know they want to brand this as like the super, super best phone ever. But if you look at like where Tegra 3 won, it was kind of in tablets, you know, and value, you know, as just by virtue of it being timed the way it was. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, like the die size is this is so small. So really this is going to be cheap. And I think that's where it's going to, going to win for a lot, a lot of these applications. And of course they made a reference design phone, which is pretty cool. And they, they talked about how that's going to be very inexpensive. I think they said 100 to $300 unsubsidized. And so you know, I think that really gives you a good context for where this will lie. Like, 4i is not, you know, as high-end as a 4, but we want to carry the 4 name along with it? I don't know. Yeah, so it's... I'm not doing... I'm going to get all sorts of rage. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I like, I, I, I like what... I like that NVIDIA is doing this, and I like, I like that we finally have gray. You know, because that was kind of my thing for a while is where's gray and so that's really cool but um you know i want to see it actually in in devices that's always the that's always the thing so it's uh the interesting thing to me is you know you have this part that's out there uh and, and it d depends on perspective right if you compare to where intel is with shipping you know an soc with integrated lte baseband hey that's not too late 
you compare it to Qualcomm and it's a right. different story. And and I think, you know, there's always room for a number two and a number three. And I think when viewed in, in that light, I think NVIDIA is fine here, right? They they did something like, what, 500 million revenue um, last year from their Tegra business. As long as it's higher this year, that's all that matters. They still have a profitable business elsewhere. Um, you brought up an interesting point is in, in that, you know, you look at where Tegra 3 went, it was kind of the value player from an OEM standpoint, right? It didn't cost as much as going with Qualcomm, but it offered decent performance and it ended up in devices like the Nexus 7. Uh, and, and that's where I think NVIDIA's strategy has kind of done really well as of late. You know, they, they built yes. these die sizes that are purposefully smaller than, you know, you look at what Qualcomm or, you know, Apple will have. And it, it kind of enables them to go in and undercut Qualcomm and, and be the more aggressive on pricing uh, while still not delivering, you know, necessarily like terrible performance or anything like that. Uh, you know, if, if anything, it, it sounds a lot like uh, or, or somewhat like AMD's sweet spot strategy from not too long ago, right? Just just target the performance mainstream and, and go after that market. Um, so I, I do see that, you know, at least in the tablet space, it has been working. If they can do something similar in the phone space, uh, that might be interesting to see. We're, we're kind of insulated from it um, in, in North America because all the phones end up being whatever, 150 or 200 bucks because they're carry uh, um, operator subsidized. But, right. you know, for the folks actually paying for these things, uh, you know, paying full price, uh, that that might be a, uh, that might be where Tegra 4i succeeds. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I, I kind of was getting excited with, you know, if you sell this to Google and say, let's have an even cheaper Nexus device, you know, or like build out, build out sort of your portfolio with like a very performant kind of even less expensive device. That's exciting. Right, like I find that very exciting. I don't know that again. I, I when I see sixty millimeters squared, I kind of think ex- I'm colored by what you've said, and I'm like, well, if I want the the highest end device, you know, like I want a huge SOC. Yes. You know, like give me all the things that come with that. And I know that you can sell it as like, oh, we're doing just as well currently as these other players, you know, and we have this area. But my my big question is, well, there's there's a lot to it that isn't just you know, CPU space or just, just modem space. And what, what are the other things that took a hit? You know, like, let's look, let's look around the edges. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, smaller memory interface, like there's a balance here, then it's a very conscious decision. And I think that's where, where they win. And I, yeah, I totally agree with you when you, that's, a, that's actually what I was, somebody, some analyst, um, I, I think that that's the same discussion other people have had that if you look at Intel, you know, I mean, it's like, what, two years now, we're still just shipping pre-acquisition silicon. Yeah. You know, and whereas NVIDIA basically just took this and it's been what, not even, not even a full year. And now we have one. So that's, that's pretty fast. So that's, what's exciting about gray, I think. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it is a testament. Look, everyone loves to give NVIDIA a hard time, uh, but they've been executing. They've been getting design wins. It's not, they're not ex- as ex- executing as well as Qualcomm is, uh, but Qualcomm has like a long history of getting this right. So it's, it's, uh, uh, it's still a very long race, but it's, it's cool to see that NVIDIA is doing work here. Um, so the last right, thing... And Qualcomm has that long portfolio. Like NVIDIA is just kind of getting started and caught back up. Yes, now you can have a discussion of you know long term is this even a viable business if you're not Qualcomm though right like if you can you can catch up in a lot of ways right but will you be will Nvidia be the AMD to Qualcomm's Intel right in in this um, SOC space and and I don't know that's I would hope so 
I mean, we lost we lost Ti. Ti kind of felt like that for a while. Um, I mean, who else is out there anymore? It's it's not you know like St. STE, they they have an interesting part. They also have the modem. So, you know, it's funny. People are starting to realize that this is the big, big differentiator, too, if you want to go into a smartphone as opposed to just, like, let's have tablets. Yes. So that's it's good for them that they have this now. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm excited. I just want to see it. Yeah. Um, okay, so the last thing I want to talk about is Sony officially announced the PlayStation 4. Um, they didn't show off a physical box but they released high-level specs, and we've been digging a little bit on it. So high-level specs are, it, um, as we've alluded to earlier, AMD won um, pretty much all the consoles this generation. Uh, so this is the next Xbox, as well as the PlayStation 4, um, as well as the GPU and the Wii U. Uh, so PlayStation 4 uses, it, it goes full-blown AMD. So this is uh, 8 x86 64 cores made by amd these are jaguar cores um the jaguar the default compute unit in jaguar is a quad core machine um so it looks like they've bundled two of these things together uh and that's one thread per core so you have this kind of eight core uh cpu subsystem there on the same die you have an 18 compute unit uh gpu from amd now sony just calls it a next generation radeon um a bunch of legwork i've done recently uh, kind of confirmed that this is uh, GCN based, uh, so it's some sort of a Tahiti Pitcairn uh, derivative, and it's all on a single die. Uh, and and Ryan, you you chimed in a little bit with uh, performance expectations here. You put it somewhere around the performance level of a uh, seventy eight fifty in terms of raw GPU power. Yeah, for the specs that we provided, uh, you have something just north of a uh, AMD Radeon seventy eight fifty in terms of performance. Um, because that's Sony claimed uh, uh, peak compute of uh, a performance of like what one point eight four teraflops and a seventy eight fifty is like one point seven ish, I think. Correct. Um, so you have all of that on a single die. What's really really cool about all this that I was actually surprised, you know, uh, Sony hinted at in the press conference, didn't draw a, to- a ton of attention to it. But this is this is a full unified address space. So there is a uh, a single memory space. It's eight gigs of GDDR five. Uh, 150 176 gigabytes per second of memory bandwidth so this is a gpu memory controller that the cpu also gets access to uh but the killer here it's unified address space so you don't copy stuff back and forward um but you know between uh discrete discrete address spaces when you're moving between the cpu and gpu this is this apu is is exactly the future of apus as far as amd saw it you know from a few years ago and uh it's very much a potential future of PC computing. Um, and I think that's, that's the really, really cool thing here. Um, Ryan, do you have any, anything you want to add or share on that? Uh, yeah, I'm just happy that A, they're using uh, what appears to be such a powerful GPU, and B, I'm so very, very happy that they're giving it an appropriate amount of bandwidth. Uh, between the memory bandwidth and GPU configuration, it looks like this really will be something close to a 7850, which in experience of our benchmarks, the 7850 uh, is a great uh, GPU for pushing games at 1080p on the PC already. So that means we're not going to be bottlenecked by memory bandwidth. We're not going to be bottlenecked by uh, raw pixel output. So this is very good news because it tended to be a struggle for the previous generation of consoles to actually put out high resolutions because they didn't have enough memory bandwidth and they didn't have the raw throughput necessary to drive it. But, well, so what's also cool here is the the fact that you do have this uh, 
CPU and GPU communication, the fact that they can actually, this is like a true heterogeneous compute machine, right? Like it's, you know, it depends on, on how Sony exposes all of this to the developers and things like that. Uh, but, but they don't have to worry about waiting for Microsoft to build a new version of Windows to take advantage of all of it, right? Like this is, this is stuff where they have direct access to the metal. They can expose whatever they want to to the developers. Uh, but, but that's huge from, from a, what you can do as a game developer and what you can do from a GPU compute standpoint. Uh, just to have this kind of shared memory space that you can use uh, that the, both the CPU and GPU can work on. Yeah, I mean, at this point, the PlayStation 4 is technically ahead of where you can go on the PC. Obviously, this is direction AMD is pushing the entire compute industry with things like HSA, but PlayStation 4, as implemented, appears to be the first thing that will actually get a chance to uh, jump at having a meaningful uh, interconnected GPU and CPU. So it'll be interesting to see what developers end up doing with it if they actually do use that GPU for compute or if it's mostly used for graphics. Yeah, and, and that's the kind of, uh, you know, it, it, I remember when, when Cell hit, like that was a, hey, look, this is what, what compute can look like in the future. And, you know, it was kind of a pain to take care of, like to, to, to deal with. With um, with this, I feel like the the you know, the barrier to entry is much, much lower. This is just like developing for a PC, but we still have that same sort of, you know, if you put in the added effort, there's, there's a lot of potential to be realized here. Um, Ian, you were going to chime in with something. Yeah. So um, in terms of, you know, cross-platform games, it's going to be a lot easier. One of the big barriers for the PS3 was the cell processor. Nobody knew how to program for it when, you know, it was announced. So, and all the engines took ages to try and optimize all their microcode for it to work but with this you you essentially develop on one platform a pc and you recompile for a ps4 yeah and and that's one of the so this is what's most frustrating to me had amd been allowed to continue its uh, like i don't i don't know what the future of amd looks like um you know the the 2015 that that vision the the products that uh uh you know, Jim Keller and, and the new team are all working on. Those are very low power mobile SOC focused as far as I understand. Um, I don't know what happens to the original vision of, of you know, effectively building PS4 like APUs and, and bringing them to the PC and, and doing all this really, really cool stuff with like, uh, you know, holodeck approximation and, and, you know, perceptual computing. I don't know what happens to that strategy. But it feels like had that old AMD been allowed to see its strategy to fruition, that this would have been an obvious tie in. Right, that you you can you know any work that you put into to truly utilizing this unified heterogeneous compute platform in the PlayStation Four, that you'd be able to just as easily leverage that on the PC if you had the OS, the APIs, the 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 software layer as well as well as the hardware there. Um, so so I do hope that that's not a future that we lose, given you know AMD's struggles that you know what they've been dealing with today. But uh, it's it's just really really neat to see you know the the. The most exciting part of you know any of the PS4 announcements, um, and and there was just a lot of really boring stuff in there. But the most exciting part to me was the fact that hey, look, we you know this is kind of a precursor to what we're supposed to be getting on PCs. The the issue with this combined nature is you're putting it all on one chip, and trying to put two high powered stuff into one chip means you've got a problem with heat generation and dissipation. So having an individual one of each will always produce more heat but ultimately more powerful because you can deal with because you can go with the heat so the ps4 is going to be at what around a 200 watt platform is that that's what we're expecting right 
So someone asked me this on Twitter. Um, seventy eight fifty is what one hundred fifty watt TDP, but that includes the DRAM, um, and then you have to tack on uh, you know the Jaguar cores on top of that. So I, I think you know total platform TDP somewhere around two hundred watts or south of that should be reasonable. I don't know. It might be better to compare it uh, to AMD's mobile lineup, uh, simply because the seventy eight fifty is a mobile cousin, which would be the seventy nine hundred mobile series. Uh, offers similar performance at a lower power envelope. So I don't know where exactly AMD's cutoff here is going to be with respect to leakage and other chip-to-chip uh, -chip variation factors, but to have uh, 7850 performance, you don't necessarily need a GPU that consumes 7850 power. That's true. That's a good uh, good point. I hadn't considered that. But generally speaking, to get... You know, if you look at the mobile power, um, look at what they're able to achieve in mobile, that's a trade-off with cost, right? Correct. Um, it, and generally with consoles, cost is not... <laughs> I mean, I'm shocked they even put 8 gigs of RAM in it, right? Like, that's, that's pretty impressive. Speaking of cost... That's huge in both senses of the word. Just huge. Yeah, so, so isn't GDDR5 a higher power usage than, say, DDR3? Yes, it is. So And so that's going to produce more heat. So even if you did say 150 watt and included all the 8 gigs in there as well, I'm not sure. It's 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 this um, eight-core Jaguar CPU part of the whole ecosystem that confuses me to no end, because obviously GPU performance is highly dependent on what the CPU can do. And if we're dealing with an eight-core Jaguar, we're not sure about clock speeds yet. But I've got a feeling it's going to be low. I mean, sort of around the two gigahertz range. When ideally, I'd I'd prefer something you know more along the lines of a three and a half gigahertz intel single core to be honest wasn't the rumor 1.6 gigahertz oh I don't, they didn't i guess they didn't put in this table even less than it's it's it it's i'm I, i'm always I, I i'm on a big downer with just amd ipc at the minute compared to just, just maybe i'm just so used to intel having such a high ipc i don't know well you also have to remember jaguar is like that's that's like an atom level core Right. So it's I understand, like, I, I would much rather have um, you know, like you give me four Haswell cores in here and I'd, I'd be way happier. Um, right. Because like four Haswell cores, you throw on hyper threading. That'd be great. I, I think, you know, we'd be OK. You even do two. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing is, a lot of these like so part of the problem is Sony wants to keep this thing around for, you know, let's say five years, but they really want 10 years. Right. So. The idea is that multi-thread development has kind of been ingrained in console developers' minds here for at least a full generation, uh, and we're going to see that continue going forward, especially if you look at like this kind of heterogeneous approach to the total system architecture. I understand the desire to have uh, a mini-core CPU. I'm just personally happy that they didn't go even worse on the CPU side, right? That they didn't go for something that, that was... I, that they didn't go the ARM route, that they didn't go the PowerPC route. They they picked something that was easy to develop for, that had a whole bunch of tools and libraries and, and you know, developers already working on that type of a platform. I guess that's why I'm not as upset as I would have normally have been. I... And, uh, can, can I talk about what I'm upset about? The Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, why... Like, you're talking about cost? Like, I'm glad they saved the $2 there. <laughs> So, so, so uh, it, like, and everybody was like, "Where do you see that?" Well, I guess they took this down, but like, I I managed to get the like press blast or whatever, 
And in there it says IEEE 802.11BGN Bluetooth 2.1 EDR. That's like 2009. <laughs> like literally what you saw on a phone from 2009. Like that module costs like single digit dollars. But ironically enough, they have Giga, they have Giggy. So it's like, oh, you know, in case you just need Giggy on your console, <laughs> it's there. But if, if you're really going to connect it like in, uh, to your TV, you know, like set-top box, you know, like everybody uses Wi-Fi, right? Unless you have like a, your own little, I don't want to say power over Ethernet because that adds latency in my experience. But like if you're doing a wireless bridge, that's one thing. But really, you're going to give me like single stream N 2.4, you know, like... That's it? It's, it's, and then Bluetooth 2.1? It's, it's, so so I, I live in a block of flats. The 2.4 band, it's, it's just crowded here. and It's uh, unusable, right? And, uh, yeah. And everybody's going to have their microwaves going at certain times of the day, so that's that knocks out all my Wi-Fi signal anyway. I should send you my spectrum analyzer, the, the Y-Spy. It's, it's really quite revealing if you actually like walk uh, around uh, with it. I, I'm pretty sure there's about 40 hotspots around from my living room. So yeah, we need five gigahertz. Like I'm glad you saved the two dollars, Sony. Thank you. It's not. It's not like a gaming device. So 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 you know, so, so, so my, my uh, where my, I'm playing FPS matters that I drop packets. Like oh, just you know that's okay. So so <laughs> my, my argument on Twitter is they've done this so that they can sell a better dongle for a hundred dollars. Just in the same way that Microsoft yeah, but did, sell. Did they do that the, though? Just like Microsoft sold the bigger hard drive at launch. So the the you know the Xbox 360 thing. So initially they launched the one dongle that was 2.4 gigahertz only, single stream. Then they launched another higher end dongle, which I immediately bought. That was 2.4 and 5 gigahertz, and it has two antennas. So it is like it is you get diversity. I'm not totally sure what I never really investigated whether it was doing two by two, but it, you get diversity at least. Like there are two physical antennas. So what really frustrated me is that when they released the slim. They basically just shoved in the original uh, 802.2.4 gigahertz N module inside the box. Like, it's attached over USB. Like, if you take the box apart and you un- unplug the thing, it looks, to the, it looks to the console like you just plugged in the old 2.4 gigahertz it's dongle. straight off the chipset. Yeah, it's... No, it's straight... What do you mean? It's straight off the... It's straight up just, like, USB inside yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious so like they're just as guilty right so now i have this 360 with the the end the better end module from the other xbox 360 like it doesn't attach at all it doesn't make sense like it just you know they used to have that thing like the little module with the little plastic yeah clips. so yours just hangs so out on the it outside. just hangs out there right <laughs> because i'm like i paid the money i want five gigahertz like i'm glad you saved the two dollars <laughs> dude and it's not even two dollars right like it's <laughs> yeah this is like sense like your fo- like there are low end phones now that have five gigahertz, and Sony's gonna sell me. How much is this thing? Like they said, hundred- under under six hundred dollars. <laughs> right, so I'm gonna buy an a, like f- under six hundred dollar box with all this other cool stuff, eight gigs of GDDR5, and USB 3.0, and all this other stuff. But I can't ha- I can't have five gigahertz Wi-Fi. <laughs> to me, that's I don't know. I'm gonna I know I'm really stuck on it. No, no, but I just it's, can't it's believe totally it. valid. And here's the thing. I believe we're still early enough in the design process where if you yell loud enough and enough people hear it, that you can you can actually change what ends up in the final system. I, I sincerely hope so. You know, like, this is... People are going to stream Netflix over this? Like, if I'm in an apartment building, the QoS on 2.4 is so bad, you probably can't do that. Yeah. Like, I've, I, you know, like, just go to a hotel room. 
you know bring something along try to stream over 2.4 it doesn't work like go to go to anywhere like go to ian's apartment i'm sure like you you know this like it's not like oh you know like this is a media streamer this is exactly what you know everybody wants to do five gigahertz on because there's better qos but really you're gonna give me 2.4 like come on uh, uh, nope uh, uh, i agree uh, i'd be interested to see how it's actually implemented because even in laptops it's still a mini pcie card the wi-fi is usually Right, uh, but you don't. I don't want to have to take apart my my PS4 and like break the seal, did, and, then did, it, and it's not gonna have the drivers. Did, 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 did. You know, like when I'm gonna root my PS4 to install better. <laughs> it's a PC, isn't it? <laughs> He's just gonna break it open and put in the best stuff. No, it is. But anyways, I I do firmly believe that you you'd be able to. That there's still time to change this. Um, I don't think I think it's too late to get 802.11ac in there. But but I bet you could get you know the the 75 cent more. Uh, Wi-Fi in there. I'm not asking for anything crazy. I'm not asking for three by three. I don't even need two by two. Like, I don't, just give me this the 150 megabits, 40 megahertz rate on five gigahertz. That's all I want. Like, I'm very easy to please. You know, <laughs> and we're not even talking about two by two since this is going to go in a set top box that's close to the ground, right? Which it's just, it's just going to be a hor- like it's the worst environment ever for anything that goes in a cabinet, right? Because like straight up, it's in a cabinet. And it's on the ground, and it's surrounded by all these other radiators. So, like, just that. Besides, besides that point, just give me the five gigahertz. Nope, I agree. Well, I, I think you keep it up. We'll, we'll mention it on the podcast more times, and uh, uh, just keep on it on Twitter, man. Every time they do an announcement, just demand it. Um, anyways, <laughs> at that, Sony, give me five gigahertz. Exactly. Anyways, that wraps up this uh, this shorter episode prior to MWC. Uh, we'll be back right after the show. There's even more stuff happening at the show and and in the the coming days here. I want to thank you all for reading all the stuff we posted this week on the site, and thank you all for listening. Uh, and we'll be back again, probably realistically in about a week and a half. Thank you, guys. <laughs>